Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Birkbeck Futures podcast from your careers, enterprise and employability team at Birkbeck University. I'm Lucy Robinson, your employability consultant for business and enterprise. We have a very special episode today. Um, We're having a joint episode with the Futures podcast um, with another podcast too. So I'm delighted to be talking to Ahmad Saqib, the founder of Vital Educators. Hi there, Ahmad. Hi, Lucy. How's it going? You're right. Yes, very good. Thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's a uh, it's a genuine pleasure. Uh, and of course, by speaking to you a couple of times, it's been a it's been an enlightening experience, and uh, I'm very honoured to be here today. Fantastic! It's great to have you on, and likewise, it's lovely to be on your podcast as well because we're going to be publishing it across um across both of them. So it's great to be here. Thank you for that. Always a pleasure. Would you want to start, or shall I start? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start by just kind of asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, uh, so obviously my name's Ahmed, and uh, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur and an educator, and uh, I have launched a website platform called Vital Educators, which is kind of designed to combine uh, or facilitate tutors and tutees. So uh, any of the students who are uh, in their GCSEs or doing A levels or probably doing eleven plus uh, at some point would need some extra support, and for that extra support, they don't know where to look. So I've made this platform to allow them to kind of look for those tutors or those educators or those coaches within their area, essentially. And you've got a background in teaching as well, haven't you? Indeed. Uh, So I have a master's in medical biochemistry with specialism in molecular genetics. And uh, I started uh, private tutoring in 2012. So I've got eight years of experience uh, in, in STEM subjects. So I've been teaching for uh, for eight years in physics, chemistry, biology, and maths, all the way up to A-levels. And I do a bit of English as well on the side as well for some of the foreign students. I always had this passion that I wanted to uh, serve. And, uh, and and the best way that I could find from my perspective was teaching and to give back to the community. And uh, I wasn't able to kind of fulfill that on a, on a bigger scale. Hence why I thought I should create a platform that allows everyone else who wants to also be a part of this to benefit the world in a more constructive way. And how have you found it managing that shift from a teaching profession to being an entrepreneur? Okay, that's a great question that you asked me. Uh, it's It's been a difficult one. Um, I've always been entrepreneurial in nature anyway. Um, I have have worked full-time within the pharmaceutical industry before. I only, always did teaching on the side. So it's it's not sort of some sort of a profession I took on by teaching in a school, but I always did this from a coaching perspective. I always worked um, on the weekends. So I've always been very entrepreneurial in a lot of ways. And of course, from a logistical perspective, it's very difficult because I have to think not just as a teacher, but I also have to think as a business owner. I have to think about the taxes. I have to think about uh, setting up the business in a, in a proper way. I have to think about the functionalities of the, of the website. So there's loads of aspects of a business that uh, I'm becoming exposed to for the very first time and it's exciting but at the same time I'm slightly nervous that I will make mistakes but I'm ready for the challenge and I'm actually enjoying it to be honest with you. Mm. And have you found it's um, quite strange to take on this this new challenge under the current circumstances because I know you'd, you'd obviously made a lot of progress with vital educators before the coronavirus really kicked in and threw everyone's worlds upside down but ultimately mm-hmm. it's picked up the most at the minute hasn't it? 
Indeed, you're absolutely right. When I launched Vital Educators was was kind of middle of last year. And uh, since then to now, I've been focusing on developing the platform itself. My plan was to, as soon as this finishes, the website is fully functional, which it is now. Um, I would actually go out to universities and start recruiting people to actually come onto the website and start advertising their expertise on the website but unfortunately that has not happened because of um, of coronavirus but uh, again I'm hopeful and there's a lot of other aspects that I can still work on as well again whenever they say there's a crisis there's an opportunity so this actually gives me a, a bit of an idea to think creatively hence why presumably that I'm doing this podcast as well which is another way for me to actually advertise the functionalities of the website and advertise the skills or the company that I have, essentially. So yeah, I mean, it's been difficult, but I'm hopeful for the future. I think it's, it's really interesting that you talk about the current crisis as actually being an opportunity to work on other aspects, to develop your understanding of other parts of the business and to work on bits of it that, you know, might have taken a backseat before. And for me, that kind of creativity and looking on the bright side almost is a really big part of being an entrepreneur. But you mentioned earlier about feeling like you've always been quite entrepreneurial. And I just wondered mm -hmm. how you would define that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. Just like you rightly mentioned, I've always been creative. And I think having an entrepreneurial mindset is to be innovative and be very creative with the way you approach certain aspects of life. I mean, a lot of us have the mentality, um, when I say a lot of us, I, I used to have the mentality of uh, uh, when something's not happening, we just give up too easily. Uh, when you become an entrepreneur or when you have an actual business to run, you have no choice but to rely on the functionalities of the business or the profitability of that business. So when things don't work, you are, you're kind of cornered to think creatively. You, you, you're, you're cornered to think on your feet and, and think quickly as well and implement whatever you're thinking. Because thinking is not, uh, it's only just a part of the battle. Because after thinking, you have to implement and hope that uh, the actions that you take will we'll turn into a success. And uh, that's the sort of phase I'm going through right now with these crises, because um, whatever actions I'm taking right now, such as this podcast, I'm hoping that this action will lead to a more permanent result. I will lead to people listening to what I'm trying to say and actually come onto the website and actually start benefiting the world and start actually taking advantage of these crises essentially. So I think being an entrepreneur is always, always about being creative and taking action from my perspective. Mm, absolutely and diamonds are formed under pressure right absolutely um i always questioned the idea of uh, why would anybody want to start a business especially in these circumstances as well i mean there has been times where uh, people in my own family have said that it pr probably it's a good idea for me to find work and go back to my normal nine to five schedule rather than focus on this because this might not have any scope but uh, it's always about looking at the bright side because uh, after a certain while you get tired of thinking that this can't happen or you should just give up and uh, from my perspective I, I just feel like at some point you have to kind of push through and uh, and see what works basically i mean if you just take a last decade's crisis uh, the financial crisis of 2008 you can see that uh, if people who were really savvy people who knew what they were doing people who were innovative at, at that time made millions from those crises uh, actually not just made millions but also benefited their their surroundings their communities their families but just by doing that as well and people who kind of took those crises on face value and decided to just stay at home and not do anything about the crisis and just waited for the crisis to end so they can restart their lives again are still in that sort of limbo phase. So I think it's all about changing the mentality and changing the, the mindset to become more actionable rather than waiting for things to come to you. Absolutely, particularly in entrepreneurship, but ultimately just with careers in general, taking control of your own narrative and your own direction is so crucial things don't just happen to you, you have to go out and seek them. And I think ultimately for entrepreneurship, that's a really tough lesson to learn, because it can be quite scary as a very early stage entrepreneur to realise that, okay, really everything relies on what I do right now, the choices I make, but in a way that's quite freeing, because it means you can try new things, you can innovate, like you say, you can just be really creative. And you probably will make mistakes, mistakes are going to happen. It's quite strange to be an entrepreneur and not make any any mistakes most investors would be wary of entrepreneurs that haven't made mistakes but taking control of your journey in that way doesn't have to actually be scary it can be quite freeing 
you know you say that it makes me feel so good one of the things that <laughs> i've also uh, it actually gives me hope and i really appreciate you you giving me the chance to actually speak and giving me the chance to have this conversation with you as well because when i talk it allows me to see my thoughts very clearly and uh, mm. see the whole thought process of how i operate in my life and this is one of the things that I, anybody who's listening to this that i would definitely encourage them to talk to people from time to time and kind of lay out the thought process and things that you're doing in your life so that anybody else who's listening to you pick them apart and ask you questions on them so that you reinforce those thoughts back into your mind and it will allow you to implement them even better because you have thought them through essentially so i really appreciate you talking to me about this because it it kind of makes me believe that vital educators will be a definite success in the future I believe it will be. I mean, just from a personal perspective, I think it's a fantastic idea. I know that when I was at school, I was very fortunate enough to be able to have tutors in the subjects I was struggling in, which were more often than not STEM subjects. It made a huge difference to me in my grades. So I think having a really accessible platform that not only makes it easy to find that help, but, you know, quick to find it accessible, you can scroll through different choices. I think it's a fantastic thing. Thank you. I mean, uh, just a quick question on that. How did you how, how did you go about finding those tutors at that time? You know, I actually don't know. Um, so it was GCSEs. I really struggled with biology in GCSEs and I did AS level biology and I really struggled in maths. So I think my mum, uh, I think she might have looked on like Craigslist, that kind of thing. Nice. OK. And, uh, and, you, and those tutors obviously came to you and they helped you. And because of those people, you you were able to get a better grade in GCSEs? I did actually. Um maths in particular, I really struggled with it. Um I was predicted like a low B or a C and I got a tutor, obviously putting a lot of hard work myself, but the tutor made a big difference and I actually ended up getting an A star, which was oh, the biggest wow. surprise of my whole yeah, biggest surprise of my why entire that, GCSE no, 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 results. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> why would that be a surprise though? Because hundred percent you're you're capable of it, but and I'm sure that you, you went through the exam process so and you knew how well you must have done in the exam. Why were you so surprised that you got an A star? I, I couldn't afford it with the exam. I thought I'd probably got a high B or a low A. I came out of it feeling really good about it. Well, the multiple exams. I came out feeling really good about them. But it was just a huge surprise to actually see the result on paper, just that it was higher no. than I expected. And I think a lot of that comes to do with self-confidence. And I think self-confidence is a really big thing that tutors help with as well. Mm. That extra support doesn't just help with the technical side of things. It doesn't just help with the actual practical learning. It instills a bit more confidence because it gives you room to try and fail it gives you that one-to-one support that you don't always get in a classroom because teachers can't always offer that obviously if they've got a classroom of 30 kids of course wow and then did you take uh, maths up in a level or did you not do that at all I didn't take it up in a level um purely because of the extra time I needed to do well in it I uh-huh. thought, you know, if I'm doing, obviously you go from doing like 11 GCSEs to like four A-level subjects or AS-level subjects with, you know, committing the same amount of total time, I thought it would be really impractical for me to take on a subject for a quarter of the whole of my whole studying that required me to put in so much Makes extra sense. effort for it. But um, I will say one thing I did get out of it was I'd never really understood why people enjoyed maths. Mm. And once I started to get the hang of like, certain methods and certain processes if you can like work through a list of problems and you're just whizzing through them because you understand how to do it it's actually really fun and I never thought I'd say that (laughs) maths was fun but tutors tutors helped me understand that maths was fun wow so you didn't take any other tutors in your a-levels I presume um well I did take I took biology as level and uh I did yes but I I didn't do amazing I I scraped a C in it um, but that's not my tutor's fault I just that's the step up I couldn't handle but I think that's that's also okay you know if you reach your potential in a subject that's that's totally all right it didn't really bother me that I didn't excel in it and I definitely wouldn't have been able to even take it to as level in the first place if it hadn't been for the tutor. What made you want to take biology into a levels and and not maths I mean what was about biology that you enjoyed a lot more than maths I mean in hindsight it probably wasn't the best idea um just because I didn't particularly enjoy biology itself I just thought I probably should take a science to AS level and I was was in that frame of mind where you know you have to take some uh hard subjects with your soft subjects if you want to label them that way which I now I now disagree with but at the time I thought that my results wouldn't look 
as good if I had all arts and humanities. I see, I see. And then at university, I presume you did arts and humanities as well, right? Um, I did social sciences, which uh, some would say is a humanity, but ultimately kind of its own its own little thing. I did mm. social and political sciences. And where, where did you go for that? Which university, if you don't want me asking? No, of course. I went to the University of York and loved it. Nice. Oh, wow. So you moved from York to London um, after you graduated then, I presume? Uh, I moved back home. So I'm from Sheffield originally, and I moved back Are home you? to Sheffield. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't have much of an accent. <laughs> you don't, uh, actually. Yeah, that's actually true. Uh, you actually don't at all. I mean, I yeah. couldn't have tell. I, I was thinking you probably would be somewhere somewhere north, but definitely uh, not north of Birmingham. I was thinking probably south. Of, <laughs> I'm in Birmingham, of course, and you're in London. So I was thinking yeah. probably like Oxford or something, but I'm surprised that you you say Sheffield. Yeah. No, it comes back out when I go home. If I talk to my family members, my northern <laughs> accent comes right back out. But I've um, been surrounded by Londoners for too long. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have adapted there really well. I mean, I couldn't have guessed that at all. I mean, I have properties in Sheffield and uh, mm. I have tenants who are from Yorkshire, of course. But uh, they, mm. they, their accent, you can easily tell that they're from Yorkshire. And I couldn't have uh, taken that guess whatsoever. So you went to Sheffield uh, after mm. graduating and then you went to London? Yes, that's right. So I did a master's in Sheffield, lived back with my parents for a year. Uh, so I studied social research MA at the University of Sheffield and then moved to London to start work. Nice. What, what prompted you to move all the way from Sheffield to London? I mean, why not somewhere closer? Just the opportunity, really. I kind of thought, you know, if I don't do it now, I might mm. not have the, the guts to do it in the future. And I'd always wanted to live in London at some point. So I thought, why not? Why now? not? Let's go for it. Um, and the grad scheme I applied for gave me the opportunity to work in London as well. So I thought it was a pretty good opportunity. So how has it been uh, living in London compared to living in Sheffield or York? It's very strange. Uh, I think in a way, York was the weirdest one to live just because Ooh. obviously Sheffield is a lot smaller than London, but it's still a city. It's still very metropolitan. Um York is very small. I, I really love living in York. But it was very small and it felt almost like villagey in comparison I suppose because mm. it's got so much history to it a lot mm-hmm. it's, it's not very built up um so it, yeah it did feel a lot like living somewhere a bit more yeah a bit more like a village I, but, um, I love how you progressed from a village to a small city to a huge city I mean that's, yeah. just, that's just amazing so what's the next step are you going to stay in London or are you going to move back to York at uh, the time being I'm really happy being in London um I, I love where I work now. I love working at Birkbeck and having so much contact with students and supporting them. So I work prim- primarily in business and enterprise and supporting students nice. who start their own businesses. And I find it really great to just see all the creativity and all the hard work that goes into it. And um, Birkbeck is an evening institution. So most of our students have that, you know, they're studying in the evening and they've got full time jobs or full time mm-hmm. caring responsibilities or a whole manner of stuff they have to do during the day. And then they'll study at night and, you know, do extra stuff on the weekends. So then on top of that, to see students who are committed to starting their own business. I just love working in that environment. And I really like to see these ambitious people succeed. Fascinating. Fascinating. Wow. Presumably, when you were in York, you made friends, right? At When you were mm-hmm. at university, you made friends and then you were living with them. Now, and when, when you went to Sheffield, you had your family that you mm-hmm. could easily uh, go to. But now that you're so far away from all of that, how are you living your life from a social perspective? Um, I was really fortunate that um, when I moved to London, I was on a graduate scheme. So I kind of had a ready-made cohort of people who were, you know, mostly around my age in working in the same industry which is higher education and I've stayed really close with a lot of them um so I was I was very lucky that I had that but I think if people moving to a new city struggle making friends and building that social network I think it's, it's hard in London because it's so big exactly and it and it feels like everyone already has their little pockets of social groups already fit together but I think it's the same you know moving to any new place just trying new things so if you're really interested in like sport and fitness join a gym and join some classes mm. if you're really interested in art go to like a life drawing class and meet some people I think it, it's tough for people who don't feel comfortable putting themselves out there at the start but you only really have to do that scary stuff by yourself a few times before you end up meeting people mm, I mean I just did a, a video on social anxiety on my YouTube channel as well mm. uh, where I, I go through this aspect of why do we feel this uh, nerviness 
I don't know whether you went through it as well, but I definitely did when uh, you're about to give a presentation, for example, and you get this feeling in your stomach and you feel like you can't really focus on the task at hand and you're, you're, you're nervous because of the fact that you will be speaking to a, to a huge audience. And you're, you're 100% right by really doing it over and over again. That's the only way to overcome this feeling. And uh, like you said, but only by doing it going out there and meeting different people you'll you'll only do it enough times that it'll become a part of you your system i've definitely learned that by being in london as well that at some point you'll have no choice but to communicate with other people but to find these gyms and these fitness classes if that's what you're into or those art sessions Uh, and there's loads of apps as well now that you can obviously download on your phone and that will allow you to overcome that sort of fear because i get a lot of my students having this conference issues as well and, and they tell me that they can't perform in huge environments. And you rightly said, it, this is the way that we can overcome that issue by putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions. I think that's a really good point. And it's something that's obviously very tough for young people, because um, I think a lot of people in their kind of teen years struggle with a lot of, uh, you know, struggle with anxiety, struggle with feeling quite firm in their sense of self. But in a way, it's kind of comforting that it doesn't go away as you grow up you know, you realise that everyone's just muddling through as they go. And there's that kind of takes the pressure off um, in a way. But I think the public speaking thing is a really good point. I heard a fact or t- statistic once that was people were would rather be speaking. No, people would rather be at their own funeral than speaking at their own funeral. Even <laughs> people are more scared of public speaking than death. That's true. Uh, That's true. I articulated that badly, but wow. essentially no, no, yeah, no, public perfect. speaking is such a big fear. Wow, that was very well put. I mean, I don't even know where you heard that from, but wow, this is actually true. I remember that you mentioned that you took a graduate scheme. So where was the graduate scheme? Could you kindly tell us, like, what was the circumstances in which you, what made you want to kind of turn from social sciences at university to deciding to work at the graduate scheme in education? I mean, how did that transition happen? Um, so I'd always worked um, whilst I was studying, and I guess for like, you know, um, the listeners on your end of things who are often, you know, kind of young people around university age or looking towards going to university, one of my biggest tips would be have a part-time job because it gets you a bit of extra cash, but also you get to find out your strengths and weaknesses in the workplace, what you like, what you don't like. And my part-time jobs were always at universities. Um, so in I careers. worked as a student ambassador, not always in careers, actually. Um, careers came quite later in my uh, in my journey. Um, I worked as a student ambassador. I worked as a telephone fundraiser. Uh, I worked within the student's union as a women's officer. I've worked in uh, student recruitment, answering queries from prospective students. I've worked in registry and quality. I got to kind of move around quite a lot. And my graduate scheme was an extension of that. It was it's called uh, Ambitious Futures, and I'd really recommend mm-hmm. it. Um, nice. It takes you on different placements in UK universities. You get to do a kind of project in a six month rotation and really spread your wings. Like the placements they put you on, you have a lot of support, but they let you really take the project and run with it. And that means nice. you've got a chance to try new things. You've got the support if you need to ask for advice, but you can really push yourself and see what you're capable of really. Fantastic. So it was not basically a change in what you were doing already. You just decided as soon as you graduate, you can just extend that aspect of working for university but turn it into a graduate scheme that's um, that's a very good point so i presume whilst you were at university you did these different tasks so what was the one thing that you would definitely recommend that you think that a student if they take a part-time job this is the sort of area that they should definitely at least work at um that's a very good question i think my advice would be try and get I mean, this is kind of biased because the two things I've really done, which is try and work in an office environment and try and work in a customer service environment. Because hmm. an office environment gives you that professionalism. It teaches you about workplace dynamics. It teaches you about the kind of tasks that will be expected of you, how to work to deadlines, how to, you know, even just really simple things like how to write reports, how to write letters, how to behave in meetings. But customer service is, customer service is where you get your backbone. And I really hmm. think before you go into a professional environment, you should be working, even if it's just like, you know, one Saturday, you know, one Saturday every month or so, just a little bit in a shop, in a cafe, in a restaurant. Mm. I was doing that since I was about 16. And that's wow. that taught me a huge amount. And I know that a lot of my friends who are similar age as me, who've worked in that kind of environment too, it's 
it's given them a lot that they carry through into their professional careers too. You definitely come across very confident and very um, articulate in the way you speak. Do you think you. that, <laughs> always a pleasure, do you think that's because of the fact that you were in customer service? And I presume when you start in customer service, you're in an uncomfortable position where you have not spoken to a stranger before. You do it so many times that it becomes second nature to you. So do you think this being articulate and very, be very good at, with communication was because of the fact that you went and worked in customer service from a young age? I think that's a big part of it. Um, one of the big things you learn with customer service is how to deal with it when people are rude to you. Um, mm. So obviously we like to think we live in a lovely world where people are always nice to each other, but anyone who's been a waitress knows that's not the case. Um, so you definitely get a lot of patience. You get a lot of that kind of diplomacy. Um, but I think the confidence comes actually from my professional workplace, particularly the place I'm in at the minute. I, I really can't, um, you know, big up my colleagues enough at the minute. I've been really encouraged to try new things to essentially take the role that I'm in now and run with it and I think having a really supportive team around me has been what's given me the confidence in the workplace that I have now. Okay and then how did you end up in the workplace? Uh, is it the part of the graduate scheme that you're on or is it something that is new? Um, In a way it's kind of both. Uh, so I was in the team I'm in now, I've been there for just over a year now and the first six months I was there as part of the grad scheme and then mm. towards the end of the placement I was meant to leave at the end of August 2019 um, and a job came up in the in the team and I really wanted to stay so I uh, I interviewed for the job and was very pleasantly surprised to get it so um, I ended up leaving the grad scheme to stay um, to stay with this team so I took on I you know more responsibilities and more things to do but it meant I could stay where I was. I kind of get the feeling by the way you reply is that you always give these interviews and these exams. I feel like you think that you, maybe you haven't done as well as you should have done. And for some reason, once you get the job or once you get that grade in maths, you, you're really surprised. <laughs> uh, I wonder why that is. I mean, it's kind of, it's a tough one. I think imposter syndrome is definitely the first thing that comes to mind. Mm. And I was about to say, it's a lot of, it's something that a lot of, young women struggle with but then I'm kind of correcting myself because actually it's, it's a thing that lots of people struggle with and mm. particularly you know in my line of work at the minute speaking with so many entrepreneurs I don't know if you've experienced this as well definitely when you're pushing out by time. yourself as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. that imposter syndrome can really set in so I don't know if that's something you've experienced as 110 well, you know, no no 110 percent I mean this is such a common theme uh, the, look uh, if I am talking for example if I'm talking on uh, on my YouTube channel or even on my podcast about a certain topic um, I have to one of the first thing that comes to mind that is I have to be confident when I'm talking about it and if I have limited amount of information I kind of sometimes feel like what can I say that would make it more believable, essentially? So uh, there is a lot of times where I do feel like an imposter. For example, I asked myself this question, who am I to speak about social anxiety? I am not a psychologist, for example, or I was talking about, before that I was talking about uh, traveling. Uh, I said, and I asked myself the question, who am I uh, to talk about traveling? I've only been to 30 odd countries. Now, <laughs> and, and I feel that constantly. I mean, this kind of feeling always goes through, even with vital educators as well. There's a book called Spirit Hacking by Shaman uh, Durak, that's his name. He's, he says that these feelings that you get regarding the imposter syndrome that makes you think like you're an imposter and you're not, you're not really uh, equipped to talk about these things are actually demons. I know it it's kind of sounds weird, but he says if you think about these demons who are, who are trying to pull you back from moving forward in life, it's, it's not a good idea to avoid these thoughts. It's better to actually acknowledge them, like address them as they actually are. Like literally ask the question, who are you? And why are you in my head? Like asking these questions out loud, what it does is that it actually uh, dissociates you from that thought. Because what happens is when people start thinking that they are imposters or they're not good enough, these thoughts actually they become a part of their system and they start to believe in these thoughts. And because they start to believe in these thoughts, it actually ends up becoming a part of their identity. And once they, it becomes a part of their identity, they'll never take action. They never do those things that they want to do in life. So the best way to do that is to actually dissociate yourself from these thoughts and stop thinking that these thoughts are a part of you and you're not an imposter. Life is a process and you'll, you'll learn and you'll grow and, and become better eventually in life. 
that's such a good point I think that method of dissociating yourself from the negativity is something that once you practice a little bit it becomes second nature and you don't have to believe every negative thought that comes into your head just because your brain chucks something negative at you and kind of puts you down a bit doesn't mean you have to believe it it's probably Mm. not true Mm. and it's definitely something that's so much easier said than done but with imposter syndrome you're absolutely right that the only way to do it is to challenge those thoughts Mm. it's kind of like mindfulness and meditation if you try and force your mind to be clear it's never going to be clear but if you just let it happen acknowledge things acknowledge the thoughts that come along you know gently challenge the ones you disagree with and just let yourself move at your own pace with it with confidence and with momentum but you know not being too tough on yourself cool. that's in my mind the best way you can move forward in, in your career and as an entrepreneur or just mm-hmm. in life really <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely um actually i was going to ask you as well on that because you said that you had bad customers some of the times or many of the times i mean mm-hmm. how did you then deal with that sort of negativity and what did you do to make sure that the rest of your day is not affected by that one bad customer Um, I think I had a bit of a turning point a couple Mm. of years into working in customer service because at the start what I do is it it would bother me a lot in the moment because if someone's if you're standing face to face with someone actively doing them a service say making them a coffee and they're being really rude to you it's Mm. the easiest thing to do is think you know f you what gives you the right to speak to me like that obviously you don't respond like that but that's what you're thinking and then you know maybe you go home and you tell your mum like oh mum I had this awful customer today they said this they said that they were horrible and all I realized I was doing was dwelling in that Mm. and I had a bit of a turning point and I realized that you know you don't have to just lie down and take everything that someone throws at you if it's nasty but in a customer service environment and in a in a professional environment when it's strangers interacting I think it's really important to realize that people bring their own issues to Mm. a conversation and to an interaction so if someone's being really rude to you that's probably got way more to do with them than it does to do with you and Mm. taking that personal element away from it is just a way to you know let it be a situation let it have happened but not let it personally affect you as much but when you say not let it, because you said these thoughts, they're natural that they will come to you. How do you mm. stop them coming to you over and over again? Because some, if, for example, a mishap has happened uh, in, say, on Monday. How do you go over the idea of stopping yourself thinking about it for the rest of that day and possibly the next day or the day after? That's a really good question. I think more than anything, it's just practice. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm giving this advice as if I'm some kind of zen <laughs> zen guru I'm really not you know stuff agitates me stuff annoys me just as much as the next person but I think the more you practice that level of understanding or at least trying to empathize with the other human on the end of the interaction Mm. the more the easier it becomes so when Mm. you first do that you might feel a little bit silly and a little bit false but the more you do it the more it becomes second nature and like I said that's not to say that things won't bother you because that's only human and that's totally fine again that means you've got a bit of a backbone but I think you do Essentially, you, you can't always choose how people treat you, but you can choose how you respond to it. Absolutely. Sometimes that's going to have to be a conscious effort and that's OK. But the more you practice it, the kind of more centered and grounded you're probably going to That's beautiful. Feel. That's beautiful. I mean, the two things that you mentioned there that I genuinely try and emulate in my life as well. One is empathy. So try and empathize with the other person, the kind of problems that they might be going through and they're just letting it out on you. And the other point that you mentioned is, you know, how you respond to that is very important. And and that's that's all it boils down to, your reaction. And I, I think you are qualified to talk about this because you have gone through this period many times since you were a teenager. I think for, for the young women and men who are listening to you right now would definitely benefit from because a lot of us who start a part-time job actually start in customer service. And, um, and I see a lot of the people who stay in that zone of uh, hating or dwelling on on how bad their day was rather than focusing on what the new day could bring them or or not thinking about the the bad and rather focusing on the good aspects of life like the fact that you're able to sleep well a lot of people can't even sleep well a lot of people don't have a comfortable bed you know there's 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 so many things that we can compare our situations to that can allow us to think a lot more positively 
And that's the sort of aspect that I have since, especially since I started Vital Educators as well, that to focus on the good aspects in life rather than focusing on the negative aspects. Yes, we can't go outside. Yes, there's isolation. Yes, there's problems everywhere in the world right now. And we all want to just carry on with our lives. But there's there's a lot of good in the world that we can focus on as well in our own lives um, rather than feeling always agitated and annoyed by everything, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's such a big part of entrepreneurship as well just kind of bringing it back to vital educators from my mind this might be a little bit idealistic but I think that most people become entrepreneurs because they see a need and they want to fill that and really all that is is a kind of roundabout way of putting more good into the world 100 percent, 100 I mean uh, I generally saw this as a need while I was a tutor is that I wanted to build a platform that had pretty much everything from the aspect of in education that means uh, pretty much everything that involves education it consists of free exam material which is on the website I'm still mm-hmm. putting more on on the website as well uh, the ability for for me to find a tutor and career advice so career advice is I'm doing that with the podcast so somebody like you who comes on and uh, a young student who listens to you uh, is hopeful that they can follow in your footsteps and pretty much 99% of all of that is completely free you know that's literally what it is filling that need that there is in the world and uh, I thought it'll be a good idea for me to start with education and kind of branch out slowly and but surely absolutely and like you know we're talking about imposter syndrome and you know what right have I got to speak on XYZ you know you're an educator for so many years you've got so much authority to speak on this subject and I find it really interesting the kind of different strands you've gone with for vital educators you know the exam material careers advice finding a tutor um I wonder like when you were a teacher what kind of resources did you really see children lacking and children needing Oh, that's a great question. Um, Every single student that I have come across with have their own particular issues. But the one issue that a lot of the students also go through as well, that they all have talent, but they lack the confidence to execute. And one of the few things that I come across among students is that once they start a question, they're on the right lines, they can get something done, but they give up too quickly because of the fact that they're not confident, because of the fact that they say they say this word, this is too hard, I can't do this, and they just drop the pen. I don't like that sort of mentality. And I and this is a, some, one of the th- things that I actually want to challenge through Vital Educators as well. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. You know how we're in school, we have teachers, right? And when we go mm-hmm. to college, we have teachers. And uh, and then we go to university, we have professors and we have doctors who are, mm-hmm. who are helping us. And we have our peers all the way along the way. But when you're an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and you have this idea, which is unique in a lot of the ways, uh, you don't have those people around you to help you. You're kind of shooting in the dark most of the times. And uh, as an entrepreneur, that is very weird. It's a very weird feeling because you have no one to turn to. You just have to figure mm. these things out on your own and you have to kind of kind of move on and, 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 and hope that whatever you're doing is the right thing. Of course, you can look at other entrepreneurs, but they have their own separate business expertise that they know about. You know, th- th- what 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 I'm doing is something that is relatively novel. I mean, there, like you said, Craigslist already exists. It's not specifically designed to help our students. Hence why, you know, I thought that this would be a good idea. But th- there are the points in my life where I'm thinking maybe this isn't a best, best financial decision, for example, because when you're a startup, everything boils down to finances and you have to be very, mm. very careful from that aspect of life. But I don't know why you started asking me about the students and I just took it to another level on, on vital educators. But I think this is a part of life. Having confidence is everything. And uh, that's what I've learned, basically. And that's what I try and teach my students as well, that be more confident and try and execute and do not give up. No, I think it was actually a really nice follow on from talking about students' confidence to talking about your experience with vital educators and being an entrepreneur going from you know, having lots of support, like you say, you go from a child having lots of support, a student having lots of support. When you're an entrepreneur, it can be very easy to feel like you're suddenly just plunked in this room by yourself, just with you and your thoughts. And that's quite, that's really intimidating. And I mean, I don't know if you'd agree, obviously being an educator, but I think when you see, you know, students throwing down the pen and saying, I don't want to do this anymore, right the way up to entrepreneurs, you know, screwing up their business model canvas, chucking it in the bin, saying, my idea is crap, I'm not doing it. Mm. I think that comes down to, it's not like petulance, it's fear more than anything, Mm. I would say. It's fear of failure. 
Absolutely. And this is one thing that I went through this period as well, where I was scared to fail. And what I realized is that we should embrace failure rather than be scared to fail. What we should not embrace is quitting. And there's a difference between quitting and failure. And a lot of people think that they're the same thing. Failing is good because every time you fail, you get to learn something new. Failure can teach you things that success actually can't teach you at all. Therefore, we should not be scared of failure whatsoever. Fear is good if it's directed in the right direction, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's it's kind Mm. of a weird way of saying it, directed in the right direction. But you kind of see what I'm saying, that if you're scared, be, be good scared. You know that feeling when you're on a roller coaster and you're about to go down? Uh, that, mm. the, and you get that buzz, that's the sort of fear that I'm referring to. If you want to be fearful, you should be fearful in the right aspects of life. Fears that drives you to take action. That's the sort of feeling you should have rather than fear of failing that will just stop you from taking action. I completely agree. One of my little mantras that I like to tell friends and tell students is, you know, be afraid, be scared, then do it anyway. You're allowed mm. to be scared. That's completely fine. That's human. But just do natural. it anyway. Don't let the fear yeah. stop you. Yeah, absolutely. 110%. So uh, with with regards to telling students that, do you think that it actually has an effect on them? Do you know of any students that you've said this to and they've completely changed their perspective of approaching a certain problem that they were facing? Oh, I don't know if I could say uh, specifically. Um, a lot of what I do is working with students kind of one-to-one and then send them off into the world. Um, the, the part of my job where I have the most kind of ongoing interaction with students is I run a programme called Pioneer. And no. that's kind of a, an early stage incubator for recent recent graduates and students at Birkbeck who have a business idea or a young business and they want to propel it. And a lot of what I do there is being a facilitator. So I bring in entrepreneurs to speak and guide the sessions and help them. But I think one of the biggest things the students take away from that if I was going to guess um Mm -hmm. is just to have a little bit more faith in themselves but faith in their own processes Mm -hmm. a lot of them tend to have that imposter syndrome of like oh I've got this idea but I don't know if it's got legs or I don't know if it's very good or whatever and it's like well just try like this is a completely safe zone to try and to fail and to experiment and to get it wrong and get it wrong again and then get it right Mm -hmm. and I think you can tell someone until you're blue in the face to to try and be confident and and believe in yourself, but they're never going to believe that until they've tried it. I guess if that makes sense, you've got to you've got to trust yourself to make those first few attempts, and then you see that it's not that scary. I mean, you say that that reminds me of Uber. Some of the people that I've spoken to have said that they had ideas such as having an app that would allow you to call a taxi on your app. But the funny thing is, I, I literally think to myself, like how many of these people have actually executed on the idea? And it's the execution that matters. It's the action that matters at the end of the day. Fear mm-hmm. is a part of both processes, not taking an action and sitting complacent in your comfort zone. That's a fear and a fear of actually taking an action and failing. Both sides have fear. Fear is going to be there all the time, just like happiness is going to be there love's going to be there hate is going to be there fear is going to be there too so it's these are feelings and uh, if we start dwelling on the feelings we will never be able to get to where we want to get to in our lives i think all of it actually boils down to self-discovery and the more we take actions in our life more we start to discover who we are i think if anything uh, vital educators have also already has taught me how tenacious i can be because before even as a student i used to give up whenever i didn't know something and i used to always rely on other people now i have to think on my feet and i have to research and i have to find different aspects and all of this is part of the process and uh, and another thing as well that i struggle with i generally struggle with this is patience because i think as humans we are conditioned to want quick results and and i'm teaching myself to not be impatient and and just really feel and enjoy the process and I think, I don't know whether you have students that come to you have this sort of a problem that once they have executed, they want quick results. And uh, the only way to do that is to just enjoy the process and not think about the end goal. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's such a good point. And it's one that's quite hard to learn because you're absolutely right that it's only natural to want quick results to your problems and to see quick successes after you put in effort. Um, I think Birkbeck students are quite unique in that, you know, like I said, most of them have full of part-time jobs, caring responsibilities, have absolutely jam-packed lives already. So Mm. for a lot of them, a business starts off as a side hustle kind of thing and then grows. So they're used to it being fairly slow going at the beginning. 
um which is a you know that's that's one battle they've already won but um mm-hmm. i was gonna ask you know with the you know you said yourself that you struggle a bit with impatience and wanting everything to be happening straight away what kind of tactics and methods have you used to overcome that impatience and work through it one of the things that has definitely made a difference is to meditate uh one once i get up in the morning i try and uh, meditate as much as i possibly can probably i think it's very hard to meditation from me is to not think about anything because as soon as you wake up as well from especially from an entrepreneurial perspective and any of the entrepreneurs who are actually listening to this the first thing that goes to your head is let's start on the business idea let's start because you have so many you, my mind is constantly working so there's things that i need to do and every single time i wake up i want i want to execute on that straight away but taking a moment and start meditating allows your mind and your body to relax and and you kind of slow things down a lot um and you you kind of process things much more intermittently and uh, and you're more relaxed in your approach to certain problems so that's one of the things that i would definitely say that has helped me the other thing of course has helped is exercise and kind of executing or doing things that i actually enjoy uh, such as probably watching a movie that has actually helped as well to kind of stay patient because i've realized as well uh, i don't know why it's making me this way i think this uh, this is because the being on social media all the time and kind of promoting the business keeps me glued to the social media and and mm. those dopamine hits relying on those likes and relying on those comments and relying adulation of your business and who you are as a human being you, you want those quick results in your business as well so i think detaching yourself completely from the technology from the social media has helped me i mean i was in jordan i think in january this year when i was there there was no internet in the desert and i just stayed without the internet in the desert and i'm not even kidding you this has such a fantastic result in my life because i became incredibly focused i was focusing on things that i couldn't even like the air or you were you're focusing on crevices of of monuments you know like little things that you don't really focus on because you're so bogged down in daily lives i was able to do that and i think being patient is all about minimizing the jargon in your life that has a knock on effect on the habits that you have so i think that was extremely valuable to me i think traveling is another aspect that i really enjoy and i i would encourage if if you want to become more patient in your life kind of detach yourself from time to time from your daily activities and do something absolutely crazy that would bring patience to you as well so meditation exercise and traveling these are my three three points that has helped me and still helping me i guess those are such good tips yeah thank you. hopefully thank you so much. all of this is over over quicker than we expect and everyone can get back to doing the things that make them happy mm-hmm. but i think that's really good advice generally like you know uh meditation exercise travel these are things that work really well for you everyone if you can take a bit of time to get to know your routine, what makes you happy, you can find the things that bring you a bit of peace in your day and the things you can be grateful for when you go to sleep at night. And it's truly important to make sure you remember to take time to do those and practice those. In the very first session of Pioneer back in November um, mm. of this of last year, we had um, a fantastic speaker, uh, Merle, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Ferilio. And nice. she led a talk um, where she mentioned how the golden potential of a business starts with you and how Mm. it's not selfish to take that time to get Mm. enough sleep, to have breaks and holidays from work, to practice your hobbies, to learn new things, to relax and switch off. That's not being selfish or procrastinating or being lazy. That's vital to your health as an individual and the health and potential of the business itself. absolutely i mean to be honest with you even not from uh, now i think about it even from a uh, non entrepreneurial perspective as well even when you're in a job you're looking for the next career move or while you're while you're at in education you just want to get that grade and you know i i've realized this now as well that our schools actually don't teach us patience because uh, well maybe they do teach us patience but we don't really get to see it in fruition essentially in our actual lives because once you give an exam you get your results and you know on that day you will get that result you know um mm. whereas being an entrepreneur it's such a weird feeling because you don't know when the results are going to come and you don't know where they're going to come from tomorrow i could be a massive hit or tomorrow i could fail and in 10 years down the line i could be a massive hit patience also comes with having the confidence in your abilities and like merly rightly said everything starts from you and uh, being selfish 
in this aspect of your life is not bad. And I always said, even in my previous podcast as well, one of the guests I had on who was an optometrist, I basically realized with him as well that all of this actually creativity, confidence, patience, all of this comes down to who you are. So it's always important to actually look at yourself first. You cannot help anybody else until you help yourself and secure yourself and take care of yourself. Because if you're not doing that, there's no point in you even having a business because you're going to make a mess of it overall anyway. So it's it's important that you focus on your own personal growth and be a bit selfish. I completely agree. I think we could probably go on talking all afternoon if we keep mm-hmm. at this, but I think that's probably a really nice, um, a really nice note to finish on, that making sure Ooh. to take the time to understand yourself know what brings you a bit of peace and a bit of calm in what I'm sure for everyone no matter what their circumstances are is a very stressful time at the minute just making sure that everyone's aware that it's not selfish to take the time for themselves and even if it is selfish that's still kind of okay at the minute of course I really appreciate you coming on as well I mean I'd love speaking to you I love uh, hearing your perspectives in life as well and I'm sure the way you are the aspects you have on life is truly amazing to say the least and you've achieved so much so far i see you going really really far in your life and really succeeding in in whatever endeavor you undertake thank you Ahmed. it's been that's really nice to hear thank you for your kind words and likewise i think you know considering that you've only been at this entrepreneurship game properly for you know what's really less than a year it's remarkable mm-hmm. to see the you know to say the progress you've made and thank the you. mindset you have about it is from my perspective, a very, very healthy one as an entrepreneur. So yeah, it's been lovely chatting with you. So thank you for being on my podcast and for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thank you for coming on my podcast as well. And for those of you who are (laughs) not on my podcast, I would really encourage you to uh, subscribe to Vital Educators Podcast and uh, visit my website, which is uh, www.vitaleducators.com. And if you are looking to become a tutor, if you're looking to give back your expertise to somebody else especially in these times of crisis i would definitely recommend that uh, uh, check the website out it's completely free to sign up and we don't take any percentage of your pay as well so yeah go on there and sign up and advertise your expertise thank you very much thank you lucy thanks ahmed cheers take care this was vital educators podcast by ahmed Saki. Hope you enjoyed. Please follow or subscribe for more content every week.